Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I always feel like these couple of weeks after All Saints, like between All Saints and the first Sunday of Advent, you know, always just kind of feel like uh, like the end of the year. It always feels like uh, sort of moving towards a New Year's Eve because we're coming down to the end of the church year. And for me, it's a good time to take stock of what we've been up to, where we're going, what we've accomplished, what still lies ahead of us to do. And if you'll permit me, sort of a personal reflection on the past year, this year, which really feels to me like the first year of post-COVID, like I know we did last year, but last year was like, how do we kind of come back to all this? This was our first sort of full year, kind of going through the process again on the back end of a pandemic. Now, I, I, and I'm here to fully say that we've at least moved through the most malignant part of it. I, a good friend of mine was just diagnosed yesterday, so I know we've got it around. But this first year post-COVID has been hard in a lot of ways, hard in a way that I didn't expect. In so many ways, it's because we've had to dig a little deeper and ask some questions. Like, not just here's what we always have done, who's going to do those jobs, but do we still need to do those things? Or what has changed that we need to think more deeply about? There's been a deeper level of questions that we've had to ask every layer of this church to ask. And that's hard work. Because it's far easier to just say, well, who are the people that are doing worship this week? That's not that hard to do. Deeper, like, well, what, what does worship look like going forward? That's a much more difficult question to answer. But as I look over the course of the past year, I want to say to all of us that it has been an absolutely wonderful season of growth, even as challenging as it has been. I want to specifically say that our consistory, our ministry chairs and our ministry teams, our volunteers, have been working really hard to answer some really challenging questions faithfully and to enact those answers in love and hope. So I want you to feel good about the work that has been done, because it's not come easy. And in this way, I am reminded, as I think of all the work that has been done over the past year, I was reminded of a story we read this morning of Joseph, who in our our Genesis reading, in the midst of a hard time, going through things that he did not bring upon himself and things that he did not deserve, nevertheless, he managed to steward faithfully what was given to him. So much to the point that Potiphar, his boss, he's like, the only thing I think about is what I'm having for dinner, because Joe's got the rest of it. And in so many ways, I'm so grateful that that has been our story as well. What are we doing in church? Because you know what? Our ministry leaders, our consistory, all of our leaders are just like, they've got the rest of it, so all we're worried about is how we do church. I want to celebrate that today. But asking all these questions, we come to the end of the year, we do have some business to do, which is a result of the hard work we've been putting in behind the scenes. And so one of the the first step we're going to take today is that after we take up our offering, we're excited to talk to you a little bit about our brand new church management software planning center, which will help us significantly be more organized, more, um, what did I say? More coordinated. There we go. Yeah. More coordinated and hopefully much better communicators with everybody. And I've worked really closely with Sabrina to bring this to to the fore. And Sabrina's going to be sharing a little bit today. It is so good to have you in church this morning to help us through that. 
And we hope, because hopefully by the end of the day, you'll be able to interact with it in some way, that as it develops and becomes a part of our life, you'll feel more connected. You'll be more in the know. Next week, we're going to bring in our new members class, and we're going to celebrate Stewardship Sunday all on the same day. We've got a double-digit amount of new members to bring in for the second time this year. In the course of the next few weeks, we're hopeful to release a brand new website that we've been working on and designing for months now. In December, we'll have our congregational meeting where we'll approve our budget and affirm our slate of leaders for consistory, for nominating. I'm telling you, there's a lot of business and it's all landing here in these couple weeks and it is worth celebrating. The challenge is to take all of that good work and all that we do in here And not keep them apart, which sometimes it feels like we want to do. We feel this tug and pull, worship over here, and kind of the business of the church over here. No, no, no. The challenge is to cram these two things together. I mean, you've been there, right? Like, you've come to worship, and then we do the benediction, and then we go into the business meeting. It's like, it's a different vibe. Like, 30 seconds after, it's like a different vibe in the the building. The impulse is to say that we're dealing with two different things. But as we prepare to barrel down the road of the next couple weeks, I want to suggest that whether we're sitting in worship reading the scriptures or we're sitting in a business meeting voting for our leaders, faith is central to it all, all of it. And I'd like to do so with a very cliched reading. This parable of the talents used every time around this year Around stewardship and fundraising and finance, I'm sure some of you just had this sort of cringy, oh no, here comes the ask today. No, it's not coming today. But you've heard this preached as a money sermon, right? You've heard it a million times. And, but I think that's like the seventh most interesting thing about this parable. That's not really all that interesting. Because parables, Jesus doesn't tell the parables to tell us what to do. We misunderstand the parables and we think Jesus is giving us a to-do list. Do this, don't do that. The parables are not commandments. No, the parables are teaching us how we see God. And the parables almost never end with a bullet point. They always end with a question, if we're reading them right. And so this parable is not about how we understand money or obedience. This parable is how we understand God. And how we see God matters to everything whether it's the word that is preached or the database we put in. So you know the story. I won't spend too much time on this, but Jesus tells the story of a master who's going on a long journey, and he takes what he has and he entrusts it, and, goodness, entrusts it to his servants. To the one he gives five talents, and a talent at that time was about a year's wage. All right, so we're not talking about insignificant sums of money at all. To the one he gives five, to the one he gives two, and to the one he gives one, And you know how the story unfolds. The guys with the five and the two, they go ahead, they do something with it. And they come back and say, look, we doubled it. And the master's like, well, yeah, you actually did. Good job, guys. Enter into the joy of your master is what we hear twice. And then we get the last guy. The guy comes in and says, well, you know, I was kind of nervous about how you might react. So I put it in the ground and you have exactly what you gave me back. He doesn't mess up. He He doesn't do anything wrong. He's just like, look, Dust the mud off. Here's, here's your bag. And the master kind of loses it on him. Well, this is the thing, right? If we're trying to figure out where God is at in this parable, we have two very different pictures, right? Two very different places we might land. Because on the one hand, we have this picture of the master. 
that is super generous, delightful, affirming, coming around and saying, you guys did a fabulous job, high five the whole nine yards. And on the other hand, we have this exact same master who the servant says, I know you are a harsh man. You're kind of lazy. You get other people to do your work for you. And in doing so, he accuses him of being hard, maybe power-hungry, fear-inducing. Same master, two completely different ways of thinking about it. In other words, we have two images of God, two ways of seeing God, seeing how God interacts with the world, and what our responsibility is in the midst of that world. And the question at the end of the day is, which God do we choose? Not which God do we have, which God do we choose? Because there's a lot of people inside the church and out who believe way deep down, if we were honest with ourselves, we would see, if I had to paint a picture of God and how I understand God, there are, there are some of us sitting here this morning would say, you know what, I want the first God, but I believe in the second. I want the first God, but I believe in the second. I believe in a God who can be hard. I believe in a God who does often seem distant. Who takes credit for work that God didn't do. Like we're down here trying to make the world a better place. God, where in the world are you? Some of us believe in that God. And if that's our God, the best response we have to that God is just coming before God and saying, look, can I just get some credit for not blowing it? Can I just get the smallest little bit of credit that I didn't screw up what you gave to me? Here's the thing. You can have that God if you want. I'm just here to tell you right now, that's a really hard God to serve. That is a really hard God to serve. But to those who risked it, to those who said, well, why don't we do something here? The master says these words, come, share in your master's happiness. My mic's being a little funky with me, excuse me. It's almost as if the other God, the one that, we seem, that seems to be super generous, delightful, affirming, all these kind of things, seems to be that that God rewarded the ability to see possibility. That God seemed to delight in initiative and a willingness on the part of his subjects to risk it. Because here's the thing, there are no instructions given the master never says, here's what I want you to do, or here's what my expectations are of you. So this parable isn't about following instructions. This parable is not about thou shalt and thou shalt not. That's not what Jesus is telling about here. What he's saying is that faithfulness is about deciding how to use what has been given to us. And it seems that this master leans more into initiative and risk and will only risk it if we've decided beforehand, if we choose that the God we want to serve is abundant, generous, and eager to bless. Because the third guy decided that God was hard and that squashed everything. The two, guys, the, two, the two guys who got the talent, the five and the two, they had already decided, the master, you know what, is not as bad a guy as, as that guy seems to think. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And he, they're the ones that are rewarded. And so with that mindset, with that decision that God is a joyful and abundant God, that faith drove action and that action drove abundance. And so again, which God do we choose? 
Because it seems to me that the God Jesus is inviting us to serve is a risk-taking, initiative-seeking, joyful God. And if we don't believe the words of this parable, then we can at least believe the, word, the life of Jesus himself. For what bigger risk is there than the word, sort of the intelligence, the beauty, the order of the universe, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What bigger risk is there than God saying, you know, I'm going to go down and walk amongst those people, walk in the same dirt. If we translate it a little better, John chapter 1 says, the word became flesh and, and, and pitched his tent among us. Jesus comes down and takes a risk for us because we're worth it, because he takes joy in us. And then later, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this, says, for the joy that was set before him, hear that again, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't come because he had an obligation. He came because it was joyful. And if joy, possibility, wonder drove our Savior then perhaps we too might yet choose the God who invites us into the joy of the master. And so to that end, well, how might we pray about this? How might we process this? How might we mulch it up and stick it into our lives? Well, I tripped across a little-known prayer in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. There are great prayers all over the New Testament, and this little prayer in 2 Thessalonians is never listed among them. But Paul says, says, y'all, this God that Paul came to know as a joyful God. Paul started out serving the angry one. And Paul ended his life serving the joyful one. So we can make the change. But this Paul who's discovering this joy, and Thessalonians is one of his very first letters. So he's still kind of new to this. But he says, I pray that God may make you worthy of his calling. Joyfulness, abundance, possibility. It says, by his power, bring to fruition every desire for goodness and deed prompted by faith. What Paul is pointing at there, he says, this congregation, this little Thessalonian congregation out in the middle of the Middle East, he says, I know you all want to rock it out in so many ways. There's so many wonderful things you all want to do. And we pray that by God's power, not your own, God's power, because that's where the joy is, that he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. What a prayer to pray for a church. That our every desire for goodness, God would see to it that that finds its, ful its fulfillment. And every deed prompted by faith, praying, God, see these acts of faith all the way to the end. Why? And Paul says, don't lose sight of the goal. Not to praise ourselves, but so that Christ may be glorified in us, that we might indeed be a witness to the world. Not a hard witness and a judgmental witness to the world, but a joyful and abundant one. That's a prayer that's worth praying for you and for me and for us. So friends, this has been a wonderful season of faith. And I, for one, am joyful about what we've planted and excited to see what blooms from it. So my invitation to you, and it is just that, that you have a choice. We all have a choice. Reject any pull towards the hard God who makes you think we should bury our gifts in a hole. Reject any pull towards a God who says who you are and what you're about. Bury it in a hole and pull it out only at the last minute. No, 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 no. Choose the God who is calling you to his very own joy. Now, let's be clear. Joy is hard. Joy, joy is not easy. Joy is not always obvious. 
But I remember a line from a Wendell Berry poem. Had the chance to preach on this last week, and so it was front of mind. Wendell Berry in his poem says, The Mad Farmer Liberation. He says, Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. Think that through. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. There is plenty of reason to not be joyful. Whether it's Wendell or Christ or one another, we say, even though all of that is true, nevertheless, be joyful. Because church isn't just a place that gives us faith. What we do here is in itself an act of faith. It will not always give us joy, but it demands joy as we try to carry out God's work in the world. We must be a joyful people. We are to act faithfully. And as we do that together, we grow in faith. We become more comfortable and imaginative in initiative. And in doing that, we keep finding ourselves stumbling upon God's abundance in unexpected places. And so what I want to say is that throughout this whole year, it's been a heavy one and a hard one and sort of an uncertain one. We have always come back to joy. And for that, I rejoice. And I look forward to joy in the weeks that are to come and joy for the stuff that God has before us. Let us reject the hard God and let us embrace the one who says, y'all, Step into the joy of your master.